you gore fiends and horror hounds. This is Brett from Dimension Z, joined as I am every week by Greg of the Dead. How are you doing, man? Doing good. How are you doing? Not bad. Um, This is a special double feature week. Yeah, uh, holly jolly holiday horror week. Yeah, any excuse to watch two movies in one week, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, Merry Christmas Eve, if you're listening on release day to anyone listening. Oh, yes, hopefully or to anyone are, celebrating, I mean. Yeah, you're hiding in a dark room, like, away from your family with your headphones in, listening to us talk about Black Christmas from 1974. Exactly. I was thinking about that. Man, I hope this episode does good. I'm like, actually, I kind of hope it doesn't do good on release day. I just feel kind of sad if the numbers were just giant. I'm like, why aren't you people doing something else today? Oh, no, don't. Uh, fuck Christmas. Listen to Throbbing with Horror. <laughs> it's more important. Christmas is every year. Throbbing with Horror, this is only our second year so far now. So we're every week. <laughs> we're even twice some weeks. Exactly. Look at what we just did in October. Oh, God, we're not doing that again till October. Every week. starting <laughs> It's starting the new year. Every week no. is a double feature. That is not a promise. Uh, so what are we doing today on this Christmas Eve episode? What seemed appropriate? Well, um, it was your pick this time. So we did, uh, you picked Black Christmas from 1974, uh, directed by Bob Clark, who also directed A Christmas Story and Porky's. Dude, what? That's so wild to me, isn't it? Like, one, I mean, yeah, they're both Christmas themed, but think how much money this guy makes every December. Oh, exactly. What are the, like, in the horror community, they always talk about Black Christmas. And, like, the other, like, normie community, they talk about, like, a Christmas story. Because it plays for 24 hours, like, from Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. So this guy is just, like, raking it in. Christmas Story is one of my favorite Christmas movies, though. I do like that one. Yeah, that's what I watch it every year. That's one of the must-sees. Yes, he had yellow eyes. But yeah, so this was 74, and it's interesting because when people talk about the slasher genre, there's two movies they like to point to a lot. Of course, there's even more than that. There's what, like Bay of Blood and Psycho and stuff. But they like to talk about Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and they both came out the same year. Yeah, which I gotta say, watching this movie again and then just doing Texas Chainsaw just a few weeks ago, God, is Texas such a better movie. It's weird because I like this movie a lot, but I also don't love it as much as I feel like I'm supposed to. So that makes me feel a little better. No, and I didn't like it as much this time as I remember liking it in previous viewings, you know. I think because we're also, we've seen Silent Night, Deadly Night. We've seen Krampus, you know what I mean? Like, we've seen Christmas horror done extremely well. To where Black Christmas does it well. Don't take me as saying it doesn't. And I know a lot of people are turning us off right now and cursing us out. I Look, I get it. One of those sacred horror movies, okay. It's it's good. It's not perfect. No, and there are definitely some scenes that stick out to me that I'm like, holy shit, that's awesome or whatnot. But then there's also a lot of scenes of them just waiting around a phone. Remember those scenes? Like, yes, there are some amazing scenes. But there's a lot of just waiting around and a guy running around some weird phone bank thing. <laughs> there's also, look, full disclosure, I am not old enough to know what half of this shit is. Well, no, it's like switchboards and whatnot. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and like, 
Yeah, I'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. But yeah, there's a lot of very dated tech in this, which doesn't bother me, but it's something that makes me go, huh, this is one of those times where old people are like, oh, the young people don't know what this is. Yeah, you're right on this one. I don't know what half this shit is. Yeah, because it's outdated and it's not needed anymore. It's exactly. Not cool. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> so, let's get into it. It kicks off, you know, like most of these Christmas horror movies that we cover all the time. Some version of Silent Night playing, just like our intro this week and last episode. But that's going on, and there's a Christmas party, and you get the point of view shot of someone outside looking in. Yeah, like, I love he, like, I'm guessing he walks to the door, and he peeks in, and he kind of opens the door, and then a drunk lady comes up and closes the door. Is that Margaret Kidder? Uh, Margo, how do I say her last? Kidder, yeah, Margo Kidder. Yeah, and so I love her. She is one character I do enjoy in this movie, and I love she's like, someone left the door open, and she closes the door, and then he's just walking away looking for a new way to get inside the house, and he finds the trellis. Yes, he does. Is, is that what it's called? I called it a lattice for some reason. I don't know what it is. Uh, something like that. It's the things that, like, Romeo and Juliet, like, would climb and vimes grow in. Yes, and people have outside their houses for reasons. Yeah, exactly. Bag lady in the chair, bag lady in the chair, woe is me. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So, yeah, he gets in there, like I said, all first-person shot, um, the party ends, I guess, and all the guys leave, and this is where we get our first, the phone rings, and someone answers it and goes, it's him again, the moaner. Brett, yeah, so, I don't mean to point something obvious out, but have you ever heard a moan in real life or movies? I mean, I guess so. Okay, but what he's doing is not it. What no. he's doing is making weird sounds and talking. He's not going... Oh, or anything like that. Like, he's going, Agnes, it's me, Billy. I'll kill you, fucking... Like, that's not moaning. No, yeah, he's doing, like, characters. Yeah, and it's weird, because sometimes, like, are there multiple people? I don't know. I don't think they really know. But what does he say here? Um, He says, this is in context, let me lick it. Let me lick your pretty pig cunt. I'm going to kill your pretty pig cunt. And just weird shit like this over and over again. Yeah, which, and at that point, they start being like, oh my god, and um, uh, Margaret Kidder, Barb, grabs the phone away and starts, like, yelling back at the person, being like, fuck you, you asshole. Like, well, don't you have anything better to do tonight than just to harass a bunch of, like, girls and women and whatnot? (laughs) Here's the thing, too is the calls have been coming in obviously They're like it's him the moaner so he's already called this place so it's not as random as it they might lead you to believe but then again also doesn't it sound like there's a murder being committed on this phone call oh yeah and each one sounds like there's like at least someone tied up in the background yeah so it's weird when we find out where he is and what's going on because at this moment it's just him in the attic. He doesn't even have a body up there or anything with him yet. No, so I guess he's just a very good impressionist. Yeah, it's he must be. Like, there's comedians that do all the sound effects and everything. Oh, yeah, like from the Police Academy movies. Exactly. But that's all going on. Like I said, the party's pretty much cleared out. It's just the girls that live at the sorority house. And what is called a house? What do they call a house mother? 
Yeah, so I believe that is actually the term for it. I don't think that's a thing anymore in, like, sororities and fraternities, though, is it? No, but how awesome would that be? Just like, oh, you mean I just get to hang out with, like, all, like, the young people now and just, like, party and whatnot? And I, like, they always just include me because I'm like, oh, look, it's the hip, like, old person. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's also like, why is she hiding booze everywhere? All these people are clearly fine with drinking. She has booze hidden everywhere, like a cliche, like a cheesy action movie, how there'll be guns under, like, every surface or something. That's how she is with booze in here. I love that part of her character where, like, there's booze, like, in a book. Like, she's carved out pages of a book for booze. There's booze in a toilet. You know, it's everywhere. Oh, yeah. You're not exaggerating. Everywhere, like, it's that whole, like, you're never supposedly, like, more than ten feet from a spider or whatever. It's in this house, you're never more than ten feet away from hidden alcohol. No, she should just carry a flask with her. Exactly. You'd think, and I don't know why she's hiding it. Maybe she's hiding it from the girls, not hiding her drinking, hiding her alcohol. Yeah, more of, like, they're gonna drink it if they find it. Exactly. That makes more sense, honestly. Yeah, that makes more a lot more sense. But, so, upstairs, there's this girl that goes into the closet, and I, what I want to say this movie does really well is suspense and, like, pretty well, like, edge-of-your-seat horror stuff. I want to give it credit for that. Not even just for the time, still holds up pretty well today, like, stuff that would work. But she goes to the closet, and you see, like, the silhouette of his face right in there, and she doesn't see it. And then he reaches out with, what are these things called, like, plastic that you put over suits or dresses oh yeah anytime you have like very fancy clothes they put plastic over it for some reason and that's that's exactly what he like strangles her with yeah he like suffocates and strangles her with it and then i don't know how he gets her into the attic but gets her into the attic yeah and that's the uh, honestly like the classic picture of the entire movie is her with the plastic over her face and it's like inhaled into her mouth and she's just sitting in that rocking chair by the window. Also, not a dummy for any of those shots. Actually, her the whole time, holding her breath for any of those shots on her afterwards. I was going to say, it looks really good. So if that was a dummy, like, holy shit. But, like, also just, I'm glad that they got the real person because it just adds a lot to it. Yeah, it's like Autopsy of Jane Doe, how we were talking about that, how they never use a dummy for it. Or like um, Brian Posehn in the background of Devil's Rejects where he was like, Rob Zombie was like, no, we can get a dummy for you if you don't want to just lay around all day. And he's like, no, it's okay. I'll like, I'll lay in the background. <laughs> I love that guy. Here's the other thing. I get really confused with all these characters and their inner relationships and who is who. So you're going to have to bear with me on this one. Uh, Jess, who is, I guess, our final girl. Well, she is our final girl. Right. She's... Is she British? Am I assuming? Uh, yeah, she it, she has a British accent, I believe. Yeah, but later in the movie, spoilers at the end are like, we called her parents, they're on our way, they're driving now. How are they driving across the ocean? They have a, they have a Harry Potter car that flies. I know I shouldn't look this far into it, but yep, I'm going to. Not as bad as Christmas Eve, well, I can't hit it that hard. But still, get hit it pretty hard. I don't know. Well, maybe they do. They have a magical van that they oh do a giant, ginormous <laughs> jump. I knew it was coming back somehow. Okay. That, that's a good way, actually. Well done. But so Jess, her boyfriend Peter calls, and that's pretty much it just to establish, I hate this guy. Fuck this dude. 
Yeah, he's so, like, whiny and whatnot, and just, like, con- very controlling over everything. Yeah, especially in some weird ways, which we'll get to later. The dead girl who's Claire, we get that shot you were talking about, that classic shot of her in the rocking chair, right in front of the attic window. There are so many times in this movie where they show scenes from, like, street level looking at this house, and you can just see her, like, basically looking out the window. How no one, like, even strangers walking by never called the police, I don't know. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, I guess they have, like, a Halloween decoration propped up against the window, maybe? Like, still, like, it, I, that's just wild, but yeah. whatever. But, should we call the killer Billy? I guess so, because that's what he keeps calling himself throughout the entire movie, it's just, this is Billy, this is Billy. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, because he also does call himself other names, Billy seems to be the most recurring one, I know we know nothing, so... If we say Billy, we're talking about the killer. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Uh, Billy's rocking the chair and just singing to himself and being all creepy and sadistic and stuff. Yeah, he's made the attic his little hideaway right now. Like, he's made himself at home. He's got his iPad set up. He's got his, like, special lights, like those, like, um overcast lights and whatnot, and his, like, vines. <laughs> Yeah, he's having a great time. He can go in and out through the trellis or lattice or whatever it's called whenever he likes. He's got a good setup here. And you know these, like, sorority women, like, are, like, ordering pizza all the time that they don't eat half of it. So he just sneaks down there, gets some pizza, gets some beers, sneaks back to the attic, watches some TV. Oh, dude, those stories are terrifying of shit like that in real life. Like, you'll see those stories, like, where people were living in other people's houses for, like, a month without them knowing. A little like side t- like side story for me. When I was in elementary school, I had my friends convinced I had a like deformed brother that lived in my walls that my parents shunned. And every once in a while, like I would tell them the story, they'd be like, "No," and I'd be like, "Yeah, huh?" And then I'd knock on the wall, and then I'd have my other hand like behind my back and knock back, and I'd be like, "Shut up, Brent!" Like <laughs> <laughs> you named him Brent. I was like, it was like Brent or Brad, or it was like something that was like very close to my name. I was like, my mom and dad love me more. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so where are we at there? Uh, this thing. Oh, here we go. We cut to Claire's dad, Mr. Harrison, waiting for her at the square. One, what, he's in a very public place, so like, that's a thing. Why wouldn't he just go to the house to get her? Why make... You park in this busy public area where hooligans are throwing snowballs in your face and make Claire get a cab or a ride into town to meet you. Why not just pick her up at the house? Well, I see it as, like, her dad is so, like, super stuffy, and he feels like he's from, like, the 1800s of, like, oh my god, women are never naked. Like, how dare you? You kind of thing like could you imagine like and we see it later on when like he runs into drunken house mother <laughs> oh well, yeah you're right a good he... idea probably to have him over at the house <laughs> that probably is what it is she probably didn't tell him where it was but he does end up going there like you said mrs mac tells him she's not there but they go and they check but go check the common room there's like a fundraiser going on that day and he's very upset about the state of this house Oh, yeah, because, well, uh, he, at some point, I think it's later on, he runs into drunk Margot Kidder. Um, yes, that's a th- fundraiser thing they're doing. He's She's like, just giving a kid beer! 
like, oh yeah, she's just like, oh, you're pretty tipsy, aren't you? You want some more? And she's like, oh yeah, he's wasted. And she has no like shame about it either. She's like, what to him? Pretty much. It's like, who cares? It's the seventies. Free love, peace. <laughs> but he tells Mrs. Mac. Yes, I'll give you a ride. I love how she has half of her lipstick on. Like, that's how ready she is. Oh, yeah, where she's like, they go into um, Claire's room, and uh, Mrs. Mac is, like, covering up. Like, there's, like, a peace poster, but it's done with, like, people, like, fucking, basically, with their legs spread. Yeah. And she's trying to just, she's just covering up, like, the guy's ass. Like, the (laughs) the father's not going to know at all what's going on. Just drawing more attention to it, to be honest. Yeah, and then, like you said, like, she kind of leaves, and she, like, puts on half her makeup, hears a cat, and then goes, like, running after that. The cat's foreshadowing, because that's going to come back into play later on. Yeah. That's pretty much the end of that scene. We cut to Jess and fucking Peter. Uh, But she tells Peter, her boyfriend, that she's pregnant, and she wants to get an abortion. Peter wants her to have it oddly progressive for a movie coming out in 74 i gotta say oh yeah as they would put up in i believe knocked up um she wants to go have a shmushmortion at a shmushmortion clinic yeah and peter's (laughs) very much like no and it's yes and you know just this look it it could have been done worse and better so i'll take for middle ground it could have been so social message shoved in my face i'd be annoyed by it or it could have been so over the top, like, I don't know how to put it, that I wouldn't like it on the opposite spectrum. So, I guess middle of the road's fine. Oh yeah, he's like, I ba- he's basically like, I don't want my son killed. It's like that old school, like, you're not gonna kill my boy. Yeah, it's, whatever. That's where we get our whole fundraiser scene we already talked about. Back at the house, Jess gets a weird call looking for Billy. It's like, no, you have the wrong number. This one is oddly less aggressive and everything like that than the other ones are. Yeah. But it's also Billy calling for himself. So, whatever. It's like, is Billy there? He's like on like uh, 10 cups, like attached to a string, and he's just talking to himself, and he's trying to like move him to his ear real fast. Yeah, I probably, honestly. I wouldn't put it past it. He's trying to play patty cake with himself, but he always loses and wins somehow. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Harrison and some of the girls from the sorority are at the police station filing a police report. And what's uh, Margot Kidder's name? Barb? Yes. Barb gives um, Nash, the desk cop here pretty much the whole time, a prank contact. What is it? Extension? Or what's the term? Yeah, she's like, it's some kind of new extension. It's F-E for fellatio. <laughs> yes, and he writes down the number fellatio. She spells it out, 2880. And that's pretty much it. Jess goes and talks to Chris, who was Claire's boyfriend, dead Claire, trying to remember all these people and everything, at hockey practice, and tells him what's going on. He doesn't know anything either, though. Yeah, Claire is in the bag with the chair. Yes. Uh, oh, Claire in the chair. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's how I remember. When Peter and Jess were having the conversation about the whole pregnancy thing earlier, he's like, you mean, you know how big today is to me and everything. You're going to drop this on me now? We have no idea what that means, but it's him playing the piano in front of judges. I guess, like, that's what he's in school for. And 
Look, I couldn't tell if it was good or bad, but judging by their reactions, it was bad. I mean, you would think, like, if he could, like, uh, you, you know he's going through a lot of emotions at that moment. He could transform that into an amazing performance if he wanted to, but he, I guess, just becomes angry and does it bad. I mean, I thought it still sounded pretty good, but I don't know. I don't know, it's piano noises, so sure. Yeah, yeah, very well done. Um, then back at the house, Mr. Harrison is, I guess, living at the sorority for the time being, while he waits for Claire to see what's going on. I gotta say, he seems less panicked than I thought you'd be after realizing what's going on and everything. Oh, yeah, because even, like, the, the police are even like, oh, she's probably over at, like, her boyfriend's house or something. And he's like, that doesn't help me, like, that doesn't e ease my mind whatsoever. So at first he seems extremely panicked, no matter what the outcome is. And now he's just kind of like, eh, okay, sure, let's go do another search party, whatever. Yeah, but they're there, and we get Barb talking to him about how turtles can fuck for three consecutive days or something like that. Yeah, Barb goes on another drunken rant that everyone snickers at of just like, oh yeah, I you know, turtles can fuck for 30, uh, uh, three days. I can't even get three minutes, huh? Waka waka! <laughs> I wish she would have did the waka waka. <laughs> I feel like this podcast would have come full circle at that moment. And she dances off screen. <laughs> Hello, my baby! Hello! Hello and she just honey. goes off. Hello, my right time girl. But, so and then she has this weird like emotional heartfelt crying scene where she thinks everyone's blaming her for claire and everyone's just gonna think it's her fault in what fucking movie because in this movie i haven't gotten that in the slightest why no i'm guessing she's just an unstable drunk is what her character is supposed to be i guess so but i didn't get any of this except for that she's an unstable drunk yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just like uh, one, one moment she's completely fine, the next moment she's having an outburst and like screaming at everybody. Speaking of outbursts, our next scene is Peter at the place where he was playing piano from the judges still there at night and him just destroying the piano. Oh, is this when he like wails on it with like, you know, when you're at like a venue or something and they have those like velvet ropes up and it's yeah. the thing that holds them up when he wails on him with that thing? Yeah, exactly. That's what I think it was too. Well, what's that um burning raids of fire kind of piano guy from the fifties that would like play like rock and roll piano? That's kinda of what it reminded me of. It was if it was like him and Jimi Hendrix. Jerry Lee Lewis? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Great balls of fire guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Jess and Chris come back home. And they get there, and they leave with Miss, Mr. Harrison to go to the search party, which oddly isn't for Claire, but it's for a missing 13-year-old girl named Janice. All of a sudden, there's, like, a few different women missing at this exact same time, we come to find out. And you know what's weird is that they don't connect the dots between all these missing people. You'd think that would, like, raise your red flag right away. No, they're treating them all like different cases. Like, I'm guessing, like, they're like, oh, like, serial killers aren't a thing yet. Yeah, I don't think they ever name where this movie takes place. You do see on the police car that it's Bedford Police, which is a county by us, but I don't think that's the Bedford it's set in. No, I don't think so. No, but who knows? It's probably northeast, just judging by the weather and everything, so maybe. But in my head canon, it is the Bedford that's near us. Dude, I used to work out. I, I never worked out there. I used to work 
out that way. And yeah, it checks out. That I'd believe this would all be going on there. Oh, but not this year because all of a sudden, like a few days ago, it was like sixty degrees out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took my coat off today. It's December. We're recording this a few days before it goes up. But anyway, that's all going on there at the search party, going out looking for this Janice, 13-year-old girl. Mrs. Mac back at the house hears the cat again and goes looking for him again and thinks she hears him in the attic. Do you think it's the cat or do you think it's Billy making cat noises? Well, Billy is very good at making noises, so it could be him. Yeah, I'll that's what I'm like, thinking. Like, She's, like, ready to go on a trip like the other girl was, and there's a taxi driver sitting outside waiting for her, like, honking the horn, and she keeps being like, you can wait, you're fine, she's, like, waving her hand, it's like, no one sees you. Exactly. She's not even by the window doing it, she's in the bowels of the house. Yeah, at one point she's climbing into the attic and the guy's still honking. And she was like, I'll be there in a minute. It's like, no, you're not. You're going into the attic. You're going to be in there for a bit. Yeah, for a good bit. So here's the thing. She goes into the attic. She's like half on the ladder still, but mostly in the attic. She looks over and sees Claire's body, Claire in the chair. And how she's killed here is cool and stupid at the same time. Yeah, I enjoy the giant hook. Yeah, so here's the thing. Why is there a pulley system in the attic? Right above the door. You know, maybe this is a thing. I've never seen or experienced this before. But maybe that's for, like, getting stuff into the attic? But I don't think so. That makes sense. But anyway, like, the the amount of force I'm thinking... Because he's backed up real far away with the pulley hook, like, raised up to let it go and go right into her... The amount of force for this thing to impale her and then, like, be able to lift her off the ground is insane. You don't just drop it and let it swing into her. At most, like, ow, you you bonked me in the head. What the fuck? Yeah, at the very most, she's, like, getting a black eye and, like, falling down those steps again. Yeah, but it perfectly hooks her and then he just, like, strings her up, I guess. Like, pulls the pulley up. Yeah. He starts screaming and destroying things in the attic. Again, we still have no idea who this is. The most we've seen of his face when we say we see him standing there is always like covered by shadows or behind something with just like the slightest bit of his eyes or mouth shown. You never get a full face reveal the entire movie. No, all you see is like an eye or something like that and like the outline of hair. Yeah, exactly. You know he has longer dark hair and that's pretty much it. At the search party, the body of Janice is found, so she is dead, which everyone then is now panicking because it's Claire dead too. Jess comes home, answers the phone. There's a, I'm going to be saying that phrase a lot throughout the rest of this episode. Yeah, there's at the from this point on, there's so much of like just them waiting by the phone that it really got to me. Yeah, it, it gets kind of repetitive a bit. So after this one, she finally calls the police about the harassing calls. And then Peter comes downstairs because they were supposed to meet after. But obviously things are going on, Peter. You got to understand. So he was upstairs this whole time. But that's weird. But he's like, no, I was waiting for you. What do you say? He fell asleep or something? Yeah, he something like that. Yeah. So do you think it's Peter at this moment watching this movie? I mean, for most of the movie, I am believing it's Peter. 
same. That's that's really the way it's set up. Um, comes down, they have a fight. He leaves. Before that, he says he's quitting the conservatory and we're getting married. And Jess is not into it, Peter. I don't want to marry you. Then that's pretty much it. The police show up, and right when they get there, Peter leaves after he's starting to get pretty threatening about the whole abortion thing, and he gets kicked out. Lieutenant Fuller is the cop who shows up, and this is also the cop and dad from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, as soon as he showed up, I'm like, holy shit, it's Nancy's dad. Exactly. And I was happy to see him, because I do like his character, especially in Nightmare 3, I really like his character. But it was cool to see him in something again. Where Nightmare 3, he's just like a drunk in a bar in the corner. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to get away from everything. I But, like, I do, earlier, like, you were saying about Peter's, like, I want out, I want out. Where, like, he's like, I spent eight years in the same room, like, lined up in the same bathroom. It's like, okay, but you've already spent eight years doing that. You're probably pretty close to being done. Maybe just stick out the last couple months, I'm guessing you have. I'm thinking he actually failed out from his performance and he's just not letting that on oh so he's like i'm just done i'm tired of putting all this time and effort into it when in reality he was kicked out i don't know if that's true that's the way i read into it that makes sense i mean it could go either way i'm not sure they leave a lot i mean a lot of shit open-ended in this but oh yeah lieutenant fuller nancy's dad comes to the house to put a to put a tap on the phone and to see Claire's room and ask some questions. Look, you're at this point, there's a missing girl, you're getting harassing calls. This house is obviously somewhat of a hot spot, somewhere to be looked into, right? Oh yeah, definitely. They should definitely be um, monitoring this house, yeah. Yeah, so if you're going to look through for evidence, where there's probably two places in a house that you would really want to check if you want to see if something's hiding or odd. That would be the attic or the basement. Exactly, yes. Doesn't fucking go into the attic. The whole movie could have been credits right here. Oh, even at the end of the movie, they still have not gone into the attic. Based on the last picture we see. I wanted to go into that so bad. Okay, look, jumping ahead real quick. Uh, Not the whole end, but the end of the movie, after shit's gone down, they know for sure there's been a killer. People have died. They know the house is a crime scene. They have police watching it. Still never check the attic with the two bodies in it. Why do you have the victim still in the same house that she was found in, in bed, and then leave her completely alone? I will get to that end. Oh my god. I have thoughts. We'll get more to there. (laughs) But so, he's there, and he explains what they're going to have to do. That they're going to have a tap on the line, so anytime the phone rings, they'll be hearing it. But she does have to keep the caller on the line, because it will take time to trace the call. I can't comment on whether this is realistic on the way it's done or not, because I do not know. I mean, I've seen this logic done in other movies, so based on that, I'm saying it is real, but it could also just be movie logic that other filmmakers have bought into. I do know now that is not the case. Now, as soon as the call goes through, they can have where you are. Oh, yes, 100%. This is not yet. This isn't the 70s anymore, where you have to run around an entire giant room of, like, switches (laughs) and whatnot, chasing the call, literally. Watching that scene, I'm like, it's a miracle any calls went through anywhere if they had to depend on this. It's like, holy shit, things were that barbaric like that not long ago. (laughs) 
Yes. Um, but he leaves because there's going to be a car outside. That's one of our guys. He'll be there all night. So I'm glad that one thing I do want to say, at least they're doing something competent in this movie. Because, okay, good. You're taking it seriously. Leave a guy there. Yeah, exactly. They're taking it a lot more seriously than some cops we've talked about on this show. Uh, yeah. They're just like, man, it's fine. And the cops literally have like wacky noises that follow them around because they're just like bumbling police officers. At least these guys are like, okay, we have someone stationed outside your house. We have your phone tapped. This is what you need to do. I'm waiting by the phone. Call me whenever you need me. Yeah, not competent enough to check the attic, but still enough, I guess. Better than what we've seen in 99% of the movies we've covered. <laughs> yeah, that's where we'll put it. Okay, so Phil, short for Phyllis, also naming your bearded dragon, happy to know that. Um, she's the one with the glasses and the poofy hair, goes to bed, and Barb wakes up in the middle of the night having an asthma attack, and Phil runs in and she goes, I dreamed a stranger was coming into my room. So, was he already in there and then hid once she woke up? I don't know. Or is Barb slightly psychic? Again, I don't know. I'm guessing more that it's he uh, He was in there and she kind of saw him, but she's also a drunk, so she's hungover and doesn't know exactly what she's seeing and has an asthma attack. So, is he still in the room at this moment, do you think? He could possibly be in, like, a closet or something. See, that shit freaks me out. Like, I want to give this movie props on the horror side of it, though. Freaks me out more than most movies. I mean, yeah, the fact of, like, there's a killer, like, hiding inside of your house. No one knows, like, exactly what's going on. People just keep dropping off. From, like, a real-life perspective, yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, I'm never really worried about dream demons or Jason coming to get me, or even hereditary, like a weird demon cult possessing me, whatever, but this one, uh-uh. I used to be afraid of skeletons coming out of the woods and getting me, though, in elementary school. Well, yeah, I'm talking about now, though, yes. Um, oh, yeah, that, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Next we get our creepy Christmas carolers. Look, they're just normal Christmas carolers. They're not supposed to be ominous or anything, but they're so like these young, high-pitched children just like with that thousand-mile stare ahead singing like uh, Holy Night or whatever, and it's more unsettling than half of the rest of this movie. I was thinking about this during the movie. I was like, holy shit, if Christmas carolers just randomly showed up at my house, number one, I'd be terrified for like a few minutes. And then I would open the door and be like, hey, hey shut the fuck up. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't think I'd yell at him. I, but here's the thing. Like, what, what is the actual protocol for if you get Christmas carolers at your house? Because, yeah, you go out like, hey, good job. But then do they start again? Like Now am I, like, roped into a full concert for these people? Like, what's the actual protocol that you're supposed to do? I guess now's a good time to have this discussion. That's why you need to be dominant. You need to go on the porch and be like, <laughs> no, bad. You're being very bad Christmas carolers. I did not ask for this. I was sitting inside trying to watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and you ruined that. Like, are you supposed to go join them then? Like, are you now roped? Are, are you now an involuntary caroler? It's like, a, it's like a zombie. Like, once they sing to you, it's like you're bitten and infected. Now you have to follow them. It's like, oh, God damn it. It's like, I don't know the words to this song. I'm just saying in the melody. 
<laughs> but yeah, all that's going on. And during the song, which is actually really cool editing, I do, as much as shit as I will talk on some parts of this movie, I do want to point out what obviously worked for this movie because it is super influential, helped a lot of other things that we love today. So I want to point out those good ones. As the carol is going on, uh, Billy is in Barb's room and grabs this glass unicorn statue thing, says, Agnes, it's me, Billy, and is stabbing her as this creepy song is going on. And this is the one like little bit of like gore that we get, not too much, but you see the unicorn head keep coming up with more blood on it each time as you hear like plunging into her and everything like that. Oh yeah, this scene right here reminded me a lot of like Italian horror. It does have a little bit of that, not as much as next week, but yeah, it does have a good bit of that, like, vibe to it. Yeah, we're, like, especially, like, how, like, they focus in on the unicorn, and then they keep, like, especially when the unicorn's stabbing, and they keep, like, focused in on that. It's very Italian, and I rather enjoyed it. Yeah. So the phone rings, and... Again, the police are listening. This is where we see our phone guy trying to trace it, running around this giant room, like this transformer he's pretty much in. And the killer says to Jess, who answers the phone, just like having a wart removed, which is one of the lines that Peter said to her earlier, how she's acting about this whole abortion situation. Yeah, and at that point, they're like, holy, she's like, holy shit, it's probably him, because who else would know that I said that, but I believe they said that while they were inside this dorm, like this house. So yes, the killer's probably hiding inside the wall being like, I heard you. I know what you said. I'm going to bring it up later. Now I just got to get out of this wall somehow. But honestly, the more logical thing is, Oh fuck, it's Peter. He's the only one who I said this to. Right. Exactly. But Lieutenant Fuller calls after the call ends and says they didn't get him. She has to keep him on the line longer. And, what the fuck is this next scene, Brett? You have to remind me, because so much of this time just blends into random phone call. It's the killer. He hangs up. The police call. You need to keep him on the line longer. But I'm afraid. I know, but you need to do it more. Scene <laughs> repeats. Well, you'll be happy to know this next scene is nothing like any of it, because we're at the police station, and this guy comes in yelling as another police officer comes in, who's all injured because he has buckshot in his ass from this cranky old random man. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, this is like 70s logic of the police went on this guy's property, so it's okay that he shot a cop in the ass, and now he's just going to leave with his gun. Do you know what this scene has to do with the rest of the movie? What? Nothing! Why <laughs> the fuck is it here? No, nothing. Nothing at all. Not even, like, establishing the town's grown restless or anything like that. No, it's just, it's just here. Which, if they had had more of that throughout the entire movie, it might have been more enjoyable. I, I don't know. This was, this was my, I scratched my head. I'm like, why, who put this in here? Yeah, I, it's like trying to establish character, but we're already so far into the movie. We're way past that. Dude, if you're gonna throw something random in, throw something from a Christmas story in Bob Clark and establish the Bob Clark Christmas cinematic universe. Oh yeah, where like the dad comes in like raving about the furnace. 
or complaining about the Bumpus's dogs. Hell yeah. I, I can't wait for my turkey. This is the third year in a <laughs> row. Those goddamn dogs have ruined my thing. You ruined my dinner. <laughs> See, I would have loved that. Yeah, make it send. If we're going to put some random shit in there, do that. Exactly. The phone rings and it's Peter crying this time. Like this one, I believe, is 100% Peter. Like we know it is. Fuller calls back and he asks what it was about. And I don't remember, does Jess tell him what's going on or no? I don't think she does. I don't think so here. But during this call, you see a shadow moving across the room. So Billy's fearless. He's just wandering about the house, going to the kitchen to get a snack. Oh, yeah, he's like, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich real quick. I'm going to make some nachos in the microwave. Like, I'll be right back. I mean, I guess he could get away with it for how little anyone notices anything in here. Oh, yeah, we're like, he keeps picking off more and more, like, victims. So he keeps, like, running out of snacks to get. So that's why he has to pick the victims that he picks. He's like, well, she makes, like, those pizza bagel things. I don't like those. I'm going to kill her. She makes pizza rolls. I like those. I'm going to keep her around. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, like, yeah, whoever's making the best food, he'll obviously save for last, I'm guessing. Um, But she's talking to Phil after the call, and she realizes Peter was there during one of the calls, so it couldn't have been Peter not realizing you have another phone line that's a different number upstairs. This is established. Why is this not thought of? But whatever. Um, The search party randomly stops by with this creepy fucking face in the window to ask if they saw anything suspicious. Again, kind of has nothing to do with anything. Why is the search party still out there? It reminded me a little bit of the Marvelous Mervo from Blood Harvest peeking in the window randomly. And then it's like, 10 seconds later, it's established as non-threatening. It's like, then why did you do it that way? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think just to get the audience spooked for a minute, but after that, they realize like, oh, there's probably still a killer out there from that girl. So Jess is going around locking all the doors and windows, but she can't find Phil. And Phil went upstairs into Barb's room earlier, and we just see the door slam shut. So, Phil died. The caller calls again. This time the line was traced and the calls are coming from inside the house. Dun dun dun! What came out first? The original one of Stranger Calls or Black Christmas? No, I believe, well, like, I, the story of When a Stranger Calls came out before this, where it was like an urban legend for like years and years. Okay, but the, the movie came out after? That I'm not sure. I think the movie be- came out before Black Christmas. Well, whichever one came out second owes a lot to whichever one came out first. Yeah, because uh, because that's why I think Black Christmas came out second. Because when I heard that um, line, I was like, "Uh, that feels stolen." Not like, yeah. "Oh, that's original." Like the original one, it was like a babysitter left alone in the house. Exactly. Yeah. Have you checked the children? We traced the caller coming from inside the house. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that good movie? Yes. <laughs> we'll have to do that one day. That'd be a good one. Oh, yeah, it would be. Um, but they trace the calls coming from inside the house. Fuller, Nancy's dad, radios back to Nash, the dumb one who got the prank extension or whatever earlier, and tells her, call, talk to Jess, tell her to leave the house. Do not tell her the call is coming from inside the house, but make sure she gets out of that house. Yeah, he's like, this is fucking on your life. Like, I swear to God, if you fuck this up, you're going to have me to deal with. Within 30 seconds, he's like, the calls are coming from inside the house. Run away. 
<laughs> she doesn't, though, because she doesn't know her friends are dead. So I guess, usually I don't get it. This one, I'm like, I kind of get it. But here's the thing. Yell, there's a killer in the house. I'm leaving now. Get out. And then run. Yeah, it's not like nowadays where I could just, like, text you upstairs being like, hey, Greg, uh, if you're alive, you should totally, like, get out because there's a killer upstairs. I'm leaving. Yeah. yeah, the best you can do is, like, shout upstairs, hey, this is what's going on, and I'm leaving. Yeah, she should, I get, I probably wouldn't be able to either, but dude, try to act calm in this moment, at least, because obviously this dude's been watching you the whole time, he knows where you are and everything, so try to not let it tip him off that, oh, fuck, I know you're here now. Exactly, it's that split moment of, like, okay, act like I've been acting this whole time, which is now impossible. Yeah, I should act like I need to walk outside and get the mail, have a cigarette, whatever, for now. Not that I'm leaving. I'm going to go outside and start smoking all of a sudden. Smoking is cool. Look at Fonzie. Mmm. <laughs> Craving that smoke. We see that the on-watch cop's throat is slit, too. So that's another death right there. I don't know how Billy got him. That one's impressive. So she's not leaving. She grabs a fire poker, so you know she means business. Goes into Barb's room, and this is creepy because it's not what you think it's going to be. It's not like she opens the door, is attacked right away or anything. She opens the door, and Billy's looking through the crack in the door from it being opened and talking to her, not yelling or anything. He's like, Agnes, it's me, Billy, talking and all that weird shit. And <laughs> she's very smart, honestly, too. Instead of shutting the door and running back down, she opens the door the whole way, like slamming it on him, like knock him down for a minute, and then runs. I don't know how she doesn't get out this door. Why are there 50 locks on it all of a sudden? But she doesn't make it out. The killer almost grabs her hair. But then she locks herself in what I believe is the basement? Yes. Okay. Weird basement. Looks bigger than the house, to be honest. Well, it's like the basement from the Evil Dead cabin. Where it's all of a sudden like five times bigger than the tiny cabin it's setting on top of. Exactly. Um, this is really cool, too, because she sees the shadow, like, looking through the windows outside, and then she sees Peter outside, and she, let me in, let me in, she doesn't let him in, and then he breaks the window and comes in through the basement. Look, right here, I'm shocked Peter isn't the killer, because one, let's say it's just Peter, you know what I mean? Which it is, it's not the killer. Why the fuck are you punching through glass to come in anyway? And how do you know she's in the basement? I think he did see her, like, for a minute, and then she went back. But, dude, like, that's major killer vibes anyway. Even if you're not one, you're punching through glass. Like, just wait. You can come in later. Yeah, like, if I all of a sudden, like, saw Liz through a window and punched through the window, and I'm like, Liz, are you okay? She'd be like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing, you maniac? <laughs> She and especially if she knows there's been a killer in the house, she'd probably be terrified. He'd be like, "Are you okay? Don't mind the blood. It's not blood. It's tomatoes." <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> he he finds her in the basement, and then we cut to the police arriving, and you hear screaming. They go in the basement, and they find Jess holding like the corpse of Peter. Like I don't know how she killed him because there's like blood coming out of his eyes, but nothing else. And, like, a little bit on his lip. I have no idea what actually happened here. Did she poison him? Yeah. Oh, she's like, I slipped something into a drink and gave it to him. Bill Cosby is my coach. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Later that night, Jess is in bed for some reason. Why is she here? This is a crime scene. There's obviously bodies taken out of the next room over. Take her anywhere else. Take her to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. There's a bunch of reporters outside and in the bottom of the house, and Mr. Harrison is there and just faints for no reason. <laughs> Again, they still don't know where Claire is, so you can hold out a little hope, even though probably stupid to do. But everyone just leaves her there in the murder house. Yeah, it's another weird thing, like we were saying earlier, of just like, all there's like a hundred people surrounding her. And then all of a sudden, there's nobody around her. She's completely alone again. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the end of Reanimator, where like there was like a bunch of people in the hospital room, and then everyone left, and it was just like the two of them, the two of them left alone, so movie could happen. Yeah, exactly. That's very close to it. Um, also, like I get they think Peter was the killer, so there's no more danger anymore, but. Don't you think they're going to comb through every bit of this house now? Because not only did he kill at least Barb and Phil, and probably Claire and Mrs. Mack, but he murdered this 13-year-old girl. There's, like, a lot of deaths attributed to this guy. They're going to comb over every bit of, like, evidence in this house to find everything. And that's assuming that he was actually the killer. If this was real life... They would be like, okay, he might be the killer, but we still have to do an investigation. You know, all right, let's wrap it up, guys. Job well done. We can all go home now. Yep, take all of that caution, uh, police warning tape down. We're fine. She's in bed. All the files we have on this, shred them. We're done. It's all over. Burn them in the fireplace. Make sure the phones are working good for whoever wants to use them next. <laughs> And then, like I said, they all just leave her there, and then you hear Billy laughing in the attic still. Jesus Christ! <laughs> we get this outside shot of the house, there's police on guard out there, and then the phone rings again. Credits. And Claire is still in the window with plastic over her. Again, they didn't check the fucking attic of the crime murder house! No, not whatsoever. Nancy's father is a terrible cop. No wonder why he transferred. <laughs> yeah, like, I'd have to go to Elm Street, too. But, man, what a... That, I think, almost ruins the whole fucking movie for me. You'd think at the end they would have at least checked the attic. <laughs> I'm kind of there with you, too, of just, like, you would do a complete sweep of the entire house. You would have found the multiple bodies in the attic. Like, okay... Now look, I know this movie is a classic, and you know what? I still like it, actually. I it, There's parts of it I fucking hate. I do like this movie. It's not a regular watch for me, but I've seen it a couple times. I don't... Then again, I'm looking at this as today, Greg Eyes. I was going to say, I don't see how it became one of the like all-time greats, quote-unquote, but I see how it's good. I think you had to take it for the time, though. There wasn't a slasher genre yet, really you got to look at everything else that was out. And I guess it does stand out really well. It does the terror and, like, suspense really well. So I, I'll give it that, but, man, I'm glad Halloween came out and really, like, kicked slashers as what they became then. Yeah, and, like, how everyone says, like, Halloween, like, took, like, a lot of, like, ideas from Black Christmas and, like, how, like, Friday the 13th took a lot of ideas from Halloween. Oh, yeah. Carpenter himself has even said that. 
Oh, yeah, it, exactly. Thank God. Like, this isn't like a secret thing. He's been like, no, I saw that and was like, oh, look, a holiday horror movie. Let's do something like that. And he did it so much better. Yeah, and I'm surprised they never franchised Black Christmas. You, you, They left it so open-ended, it really writes itself for a franchise, but they just rebooted it a bunch of times. Um, you want to co- hear a cool fact? Yes. So, this movie is supposed to air on NBC one night, and it was right the same week when a murder did happen at a sorority house where a couple girls were killed. After pressure, they decided to pull the plug on the movie. Do you know what murders these were? Ted Bundy in Florida. Exactly. Yeah, where Ted Bundy stuck, uh, snuck into a sorority house after escaping prison and killed, like, a few different sorority uh, women, like, in their uh, beds while others were sleeping and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, I mean, nothing too much to it, but just an odd little tidbit of the story. Uh, another weird fact about this it was alleged by some people close to him that Elvis Presley saw this movie and loved it, and after it came out, for the rest of his life, every Christmas would watch this movie. Granted, he was only alive for like another three more years, but allegedly he was a very big fan. He's just extremely drunk and high on pills and like eating like a fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich, being like, oh, I love the, I love, I love the attic, man. I'm so glad I, we've never got an Elvis impression on this show, and it might be one of my favorites now. <laughs> Attic man, and kill the women. I'll have a black Christmas without you. <laughs> All right, end of the episode stuff. You want to get into Count of the Dead? Yes, where are we at with Count of the Dead? Ah, 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 Greg. Alright, so for those who don't know, the Throbbing with Horror Count of the Dead is where we tally up all the deaths in the movie, and we add them to the grand total of all the other movies we've covered so far. Last episode, we did Christmas Evil, which left us with a Count of the Dead of 737. Where do you think Black Christmas brought us? Oh, remember last week when we, were like last episode when we did Christmas Evil? And I it do. It was just so much fun. I am... Pretty upset with our holiday horror picks this year. I'm just thinking of last year where we did Silent Night, Deadly Night, Santa Sleigh, <laughs> Gremlins. Gremlins. Yeah, dude, Krampus. Like, I'm like, I miss last year. Yeah, this year it's like Christmas Evil and Black Christmas. It's like, oh, well, it's pretty sad when I'm like, oh, Christmas Evil was so much more fun. You know? Yeah, yeah, let's let's go back to last year next year again. Let's let's get something fucking weird. I want I'm putting it out now. I think I want to do Jack Frost next year. All right. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, where where do you think we had um 737 with Christmas Evil? Let me think of this movie because like there were a few deaths, but then there would be like long periods of time where nothing happened. I'm going to say 6. You think that would bring us to 743? Yes. Oh, you were on such a winning streak for a while. You missed it by one. Seven. Um, seven? Yeah, it brought us to 744, Count of the Dead. Okay. Well, like you were saying, I did too well for too long. I had to drop off at some point. Hey, I, I'll take that winning streak. That was your longest one you've had, I think. Hey, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not even being sarcastic. Uh, well, every episode, Greg does his Count of the Dead, ah, 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 which, remember, guys, keep sending those Count of the Dead memes and TikToks to Greg. Please do not. 
Yeah, I love it. I like to do a rating system, but I don't like to do stars or thumbs up or thumbs down because number one, Joe Bob does stars and hail Joe hail Bob. Joe Bob. And uh, we just came off of Joe Bob's special, which just aired last night for us uh, as of the recording of this. And I love that his double feature Christmas special this year was Ice Cream Man and Gator Bait. <laughs> it's so Joe Bob. Like, it's so fitting and it's so funny. I'm concerned about Joe Bob. His holiday picks this year have all been really weird, but still fun. Well, then, like, I also love, like, Felissa Rose showed back up to be, like, on the phone lines for, like, the telethon type thing they were doing. I love how they had Ernie the Bearded Dragon on a phone line. May I point out, we knew this was happening beforehand. Felissa told us, well, contractually did not tell us, but gave the, mm, and, like, nodding her head with her eyes, and I'm not allowed to say anything, so we were aware of this. Oh, yeah, she gave the little wink of, like, something may be happening. Yeah. Number one, yeah, Joe Bob did stars and thumbs up. Uh, Number two, Siskel and Ebert did stars and thumbs up and thumbs down. And I hope that they get plastic put over their faces and they get set in front of a window so they rot away and they cannot <laughs> have an open casket ceremony for their family. This one's pretty brutal. Like, I'm cool with them turning into green goop. This one's a little rough. No, this one is hardcore because you know what? I bet you they love this movie. I bet you they went, "Oh, is that that? Is this Black Christmas's dick right here? Oh, is that this? Oh, is it throbbing?" I don't know that for sure, but this looks they, like the they kind of did not like it. No, no. Uh, well, I don't think Siskel reviewed. It. I checked. Uh, Ebert was not a fan. This seems like the kind of boring kind of movie that they would look at and be like, "Oh my god." This is fucking fine art. Like, they don't show anything. Nothing really happens. It's all about <laughs> phone calls. I like to do my own ratings. <laughs> we took so long to hit the count of the dead, and now we're doing the same thing for ratings. You can tell we're recording this one really late at night. We are not on our A game. Oh, no. It's after midnight right now. Um, I like to do my own rating system. Where number one is terrible and number 10 is awesome. And I don't pick that thing until right now. And I'm thinking about like prank phone calls. Okay. Of like, do you remember like, it's, you probably remember this more, Greg, because you're like about my same age. Of like, back in the day, you could make a prank phone call and not get caught doing it. Oh yeah, it's quite normal actually. That was a typical weekend activity for youngsters. Where, like, you had nothing to do, but you had, like, a phone, or you had a pay phone, or something like that. So you would make prank phone calls, and it was just, like, dumb shit, you know? Like, oh, is your refrigerator running? Um, so let's say... Well, you number... better go catch it! Yeah. Our number one prank phone call is, like, it's a shitty prank phone call, but then you're still, like, your parents catch you, so now you're grounded, so it wasn't even worth it. Okay. Number ten... It's like the Jerky Boys, or like where they made a complete career out of, or like the Crank Yankers. Oh, Crank they, Yankers used to be so fun. They made like so much money off of prank phone calls. I'm going to give this movie five and a half prank phone calls. Five and a half? It's just overpassing, I think. You should definitely check it out. It's not an every year watch for sure. Like it'll probably be a while before I watch this again. 
but it's good enough to check out at least once or twice. I think if you're a horror fan, you should definitely see it. Like, just for a historical standpoint alone, even if it was terrible, just knowing what this movie got us to, yeah, you should definitely watch it. Unlike its counterpart, Texas Chainsaw, where you should watch it for the historical factor and everything, but also, holy shit, it's just a fucking masterpiece. That's the main reason I say you watch it. I, like you, went above passing, but not by too much. I went six stars. Uh, six, what are we? We don't use stars. Uh, six prank, prank phone, phone calls out of ten. Okay, I was worried about how high you were going to rate this and how much you were going to yell at me. No, because I get it. And look, if you're listening and you're like, fuck you guys, I've heard what you've rated ten. Look, I get it too. I know how historically important this movie is, and I appreciate it for what it did. As far as my enjoyment watching it, though, it was above passing. I enjoyed it, but didn't enjoy it as quite a bit of other stuff we've covered. To, to save you some research, I uh, rated Veronica higher than this. That This view does not represent both members of Throbbing with Horror. No, that's just Brett from Dimension Z, and I will stand by that rating. <laughs> My god, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that ends our holiday horror double feature. Holy shit, thank god fucking... But by the time you're listening to this right now, you said it's what, Christmas Eve, right? Yeah, it'll be Christmas Eve, because that's Friday, I think. So if you're listening to this as uh, when the episode is released, just think, you have one more day to get through, and then it's over. The C word is over, and I'm not talking about <laughs> cunt, I'm talking about Christmas. Which we're allowed to say on this episode, it was a line. Yes, exactly. It, it's a reference <laughs> to this movie. I can say the C word, I don't want to say it again right now. <laughs> you don't want to push it too far. No, I just, I got away with saying it one time because it was a joke. <laughs> All right, so you want to tell them what we're doing next week? Yeah, what is next week, Greg? Uh, we're going really Italian horror next week because we're doing Dario Argento's opera. Oh, which I cannot wait. Which, if you're already saying, like, this sounds so pretentious and stuck up, I'm not watching this movie, trust me. It is a good fucking movie, and it is gory at points. But it is on point. I mean this in the best way possible, and it might sound like an insult. It is a trashy movie disguising itself as a stuffy movie in the best way possible. I mean that. I can see that, exactly. Yeah, and I, I like it a lot. I'll, we'll discuss more next week, but yeah, that's your homework. Watch Opera for next week. Is that going to be um coming out in 2021 or 2022? That, that will be our final episode of 2021. Okay, so we have one more people. And then we're into the next new year, and everything's perfect again, and everything's fixed. We said that last year. It was I all know, bullshit. I remember when I said that. <laughs> well, we'll see you next week for the final throbbing of 2021, and thank you guys. Hope you do have a good holiday for all celebrating, and yeah, that's pretty much it. If you do want to do us, leave us a Christmas present. Spotify has actually recently added a ratings feature, so I know that's where most of our listeners listen, and they never let you rate on there before, so you always were annoyed by this speech. But now you can go and you can rate us five stars, and we'll appreciate the hell out of it. Thank you to those who did, and thank you to those who will. If you want to follow us, we're on all the social medias. We're on TikTok, Facebook group, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. If you want more of me, I'm on a podcast on Mondays called Geek Positive with our friend Ryan Maxwell. And I think I just hit everything, didn't I? 
Yeah, I was waiting for myself to like, I kept running through the things in my head to jump in for, but you hit everything. Usually I miss one. I'm like, Brett will, Brett will catch me. Yeah, but yeah, just search Throbbing with Horror on any social medias and then check out Greg on his other podcast, Geek Positive. All right. Thank you. That's all I pretty much got. And um, uh, we hope that Black Christmas has left your brain throbbing with horror.